Brian Abana is one of South Africa's greatest ever Springboks, playing 124 test matches and scoring 67 tries, placing him second on the all-time list of test try scorers. But now he's retired and he's a working stiff just like you and me, living in Cape Town and trying to homeschool a two and a five-year-old. I want them to go back to school now, um, not because uh, I just don't want them at home. I just feel it's unfair on parents, um, you know, to be balancing being a parent and being a teacher. Um, and we're fortunate that we've got a bit of a discount, but like the amount of Zoom calls that we've had to have over, yeah, over the last 11 weeks. Um, and my two-year-old is having Zoom calls with you. I mean, because they're so young, two and five, you can't expect them to do that all on their own. Yeah, and I've also been busy with work. Um, I'm literally like, uh, I'm getting, the looks are getting more ominous from my wife every day. Um, I sort of went downstairs, did a, um, disrupted the internet, which stopped the TV working. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm really happy for them to go to, um, yeah, to go back to school. Um, and again, obviously, the, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but the kids apparently, um, and I know everyone's health is at risk. Okay, and you've been, how long have you, you been back in Cape Town then, would you say? We went out 20, because it's May 2020, so just on 18 months now. We got back end of 2018. Yeah, it's because... End of 2018, so I was sort of between, but I was sort of, I was sort of half based in France, probably until about March last year. Um, obviously, completing my studies and everything, getting my degrees and everything over there, but yeah, it became a little bit too tough for the family. And how would you describe being back, living in Cape Town, having had the France experience, and you've obviously lived in Cape Town having played for the Stormers in Western Province. Um, what's life back in Cape Town been like, and how have you approached it? Yeah, there's, you know, there's the saying of there is no place back home. It uh, rings true, to be pretty honest. I think being close to family, friends, the commonality of things you know, um, there are a lot of the elements of the part of France that we are missing. Um, but yeah, being able to you know, sort of be back on, you know, in, in your own environment, you know, the, knowing the ins and outs, uh, not having to worry about the difficulty of being lost in translation, uh, especially in a place like Sudan, that is a really small French town in comparison with a big metropole. And yeah, this is very French. So, you know, everything from our eldest, who's only five, um, having to go to professional school, um, not understanding the teachers, um, not particularly great at French, um, and not knowing every ingredient that's in the product on the shelf that you're buying if you don't know <laughs> the product from before. So, yeah, again, there's, there's pros and cons. I'm extremely grateful for the five years we got to spend in France. You know, our second child got born there. Um, you know, we made some great friendships. We got to experience some amazing things. Cote d'Azur, um, you know, is one of the most beautiful and serene places in the in you know, in the world. So, but being back home, there, there really is none like it. Yes, South Africa has problems. Yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, unknowns that are currently happening physically, politically, economically. But you know, being home, being close to your people, close to things you know, uh, and not that being in Cape Town is an issue, but having the mountains, um, you know, definitely makes uh, makes up for a lot of it. Um, how was your French by the time you left? C'était quand? C'était en 2019. C'était plus mieux. On compare le temps que j'arrive en France. Mais 
le deux dernières années, c'était le plus, plus important. On fait le langue français avec le cœur, avec un professeur à Plon qui était avec moi. So, yeah, I guess it's much better in the end. And obviously, you know, that came down to the fact that you, know, you needed to embrace it, a different culture. Uh, obviously, post-2007 Rugby World Cup, there was a, a bit of a love affiliation with France um, because of, of the win, because of the experience. And yeah, like I say, you know, in a town like Toulon where English isn't unheard of, but it's not a priority and for a lot of people, uh, being a, you know, a French school town, it was important towards the end to start picking up. Um, and in the first three years, I was just traveling a lot with the Springboks, you know, having to relearn, you know, every year I'd have to restart the beginner's class at the club. So um, in the last year or two, I actually you know, made a, a conscious effort to try and improve. So I can't simply now have conversations and interviews in French. I wouldn't be able to do any commentary or punditry in French, but um, yeah, basic understanding of the language. And uh, you weren't the only sort of expat there. You had a couple of other big names. Uh, your Matt Gittos, um, uh forget the Welsh fullback's name, Lee Halfpenny. Um, were those the guys that you, you spent time and socialised with, or did you? Who did you guys invariably socialise with? Um, yeah, I think we were a great bunch of guys together. Obviously, a lot of world class players. And to be brutally honest, we um, yeah we really enjoyed each other. And again, there wasn't any fractions or any clicks going around. Um, Drew Mitchell and Matt Guitar did form their own little clique, but they, that clique sort of moved between the different elements of the squad from the forwards to the back. Uh, but yeah, we actually had a really enjoyable um, you know, team cohesion and team spirit, which was, was really fantastic. Were, were any of those guys who you sort of gravitated towards and spent, spent more time with them, more with the French guys or with, or with the other sort of Kiwis and Aussies that played there? See, it's literally just over two years since you announced your retirement. Uh, when was your final game uh, in Toulon? Yeah, so, so obviously I had a pretty unfortunate ending to my career. I actually didn't get to play a single game in my last season. So I think my last game was uh, around the 17th or 18th of April 2017, actually. So yeah, three years ago now. And by that stage, had you started working on... on, on on, on post-career, I mean, you mentioned studying in your in your last year in France. When did you first started to think yeah. about life beyond rugby? Yeah, so it's obviously been an ongoing thing uh, while I was in France, you know, getting various contacts and opportunities from a learning perspective. Obviously, studying in that final year was, was pretty important. And on actually announcing my retirement, I got chatting with Mike Sharman, um, who I went to school with, but I'd also you know seen on various points throughout the course of my rugby career, starting uh, in New Zealand, having won a competition uh, as a fan. Again, went to 2015, and sort of from a PR marketing perspective, he's sort of been in and around certain elements um, that I've been close to. And just that it's had about coming together and doing things simply a little bit different. 
special sports marketing industry, uh, adding the extreme experience and knowledge that Mike and Ben Kopinski had, but also then you know, sort of linking that with the knowledge and expertise I had from being a player, working with brands, collaborating, and you know, potentially creating a successful platform to which I could you know, lean on uh, for both my first rugby career. And that obviously, uh, that's where the retroactive the agency has been born, am I right? online presence 
um, to receive fans, but also showcase you know what they're what they're all about. You know, potentially embedding a YouTube video of their skill set. You know, whether you be a triathlete, a rower, a badminton player, a rugby player, a soccer player, a tennis player. Um, you know, making it a simple, easy to use setup process, but an even simpler to use showcasing opportunity where people from around the world and who potentially want to collaborate with you as a brand can get a hold of you. You know, and I've got through this, you know, this life where you sort of get these various different points of contact coming in. And if you have an agent, you know, you first got to run it by your agent, but you know, we're giving people, of course, they don't have a website. You know, how do you find out who is? It is the choice agent on the internet, and um, you know you Google, and uh, all of a sudden with Maskit.co, you have this easy-to-use platform that gives you, you know, gives you that opportunity. Brian, is the uh, is the digital space always interested you? And as a player, were you active on social media and, and engaging with your audience and your fans in that space, or is it is it almost a a new thing that you've got into since the launch of Retroactive? So that's from a that's from a business point of view, Brian, and I, and I completely get where you're coming from. What about uh, you and your wife, from a personal point of view? What's your approach to social media? Do you are you guys active uh, in that space? Um, so my wife, obviously, uh, again, I'm I'm sort of grateful that rugby gave me the opportunity. But in our household, uh, she's the more educated of the two of us. You know, I now have a business unit manager diploma through um, the Toulouse Business School, but she's got her BSc Sports Science Honours. So obviously she had her own pre and postnatal training facility before we left for France um, and I, the only reason she set that up was because I told her Cape Town was going to be our forever home uh, before this loan option came about. 
dog box for that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult one. Obviously, you know, our, our wedding was public. You know, there's been a lot of um, a lot of photo shoots and cover, covers that we've had in magazines. But you know, from a social media perspective, I sort of try keep the kids out of it as much as possible. Um, obviously, they they are the dangers of social media. They are the dangers of constantly putting your you know your self out there. And you know, not to use an, an example, but look at someone. Like like US one of SAs and a and a more of a Tony uh, that made their whole life you know extremely public, um, and then you know when things do potentially go bad, trying to then tell the public that you want privacy, um, it's very contradictory with potentially uh, how you lead your life. So yeah, I mean I, I, be, I am trying to be as careful as possible. You know I don't think you can always protect your kids, but you know, at the present moment in time, you know I don't want them overexposed on my social media platforms. So. Yeah, yeah, Janine's got her own business. She's uh, you know got quite a few friends on Facebook. She has her business Instagram account for uh, fitness. But yeah, I think from a family perspective, you know, we we try to avoid um, you know exposing ourselves too much on social media. What else does uh, life in the Hibana household in Platterkloof in in Cape Town look like, Brian? Uh, can you give us some sort of insight as to? And obviously, it's a bit different now during lockdown. But what a normal day looks like are you guys uh, exercises do you get outside do you make use of what cape town has to offer what is uh, what does the habana lifestyle look like in cape town yeah at, at the moment it's um pretty cool i i have not through this lockdown like many athletes around the world got into cooking or doing baking bread or baking um patisseries of any sort i am horrible at at better times, I do burn water, so yeah, like I said, I can at least do a fry, and, but I do it on gas because I just don't have that extra 45 minutes to wait for the coal to be perfect, so I do not mind being judged for that. But yeah, obviously, you know, having two kids, the, the routine of you know, getting them to school, and I've obviously have also been traveling quite a bit over the course of the last, uh, last two years, doing various things with HSBC and MasterCard and Land Rover and you know, in Japan for six weeks, so Denise, unfortunately, had to take that responsibility of, you know, sort of overseeing the house, and I'm glad she does because she's incredible at it. And, you know, for me at the moment, you know, spending time with the kids, I'm still not really in full title of that for the year, even though homeschooling and Zoom, and Zoom classes is a thing. But, um, yeah, I'm you know, also in the elements of working with Retroactive and you know, an entity called Pay Me Now, which is a fintech company. Um, I'm, yeah, pretty, pretty busy. Uh, I'm getting ominous looks each and every time I go down and sort of cause a whirlwind and then just leave again. So, yeah, it's, uh, I'm extremely grateful for, you know, Janine. I think she's had to sacrifice a lot for me to sort of see out my dreams. And, and now in this, you know, next chapter of life, and she's had to take on a different responsibility of, you know, raising kids and, you know, being present when, when I haven't. And again, when I took my five-year-old out of the bar two weeks into lockdown and he asked me, Daddy, when are you going to London again? I wasn't that... That was quite sure because I was working on everyone's nerves or if he just wanted another gift from overseas. So his French isn't bad and he fancies himself as a bit of a tech guru. Just don't ask Brian Abana to whip something up in the kitchen or stand around a braai. No surprise to hear, South Africa's speedy winger still in a bit of a hurry. 